0: Ironically, for an HR tech company, our biggest challenge has been HR, has been finding the right people to join the team.
1: You're listening to Create Community. I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is Ilya Brodsky. Ilya is on a mission to create a borderless world for tech talent. He's the founder and CEO of VanHack, which is one of Canada's leading HR tech startups. VanHack has an incredible community of close to 176,000 people from over hundred different countries. Their Slack is probably one of the largest in the world with close to 70,000 active community members connecting and learning with each other throughout their immigration journeys. Ilya and I chat about his experience living in Brazil, finding community as an immigrant, building VanHack, and how to co-create your company with your community. So with that, let's jump right into it. Ilya, welcome to the show. Super excited to chat with you today. Thanks so much, Marsha. How's life in Vancouver these days?
0: You know, it's pretty nice. Summer's here. There's some outdoor pools open, so I'm getting back in the water, which is really nice. And I'm really grateful that we live in such a beautiful place.
1: I still haven't been to the West Coast. And it's so sad. I really need to go. I love the outdoors. So I know that I would absolutely fall in love with that. With these episodes, I love to start off by getting to know a little bit about how the guest actually became a community builder in the first place and what your early journey looked like. So I know that your family immigrated to Canada. What were those first few years like and how did you find your sense of belonging in your new country?
0: I moved or immigrated when I was two and a half from the Union to a small town outside of Jerusalem and Israel and then to Vancouver. Again, when I was five, that sense of belonging wasn't there because I was always an immigrant, right? Like I didn't really speak Hebrew and then I didn't really speak English. And I remember coming to school on Halloween in Vancouver and not being dressed up because everyone else was dressed up and I didn't know it was Halloween. So I always felt like an outsider, at least at first. That was definitely hard. But... It allowed me to empathize with others who also maybe weren't part of the community, weren't part of the group. So I would always be the kid when the new kid arrived, be the one who would would volunteer to show them around or kind of try and be nice because I kind of felt like, hey, I, I know what it's like.
1: And what were you like in high school? You know, you were pretty young when you immigrated. What were you like when you kind of found your sense of self?
0: I was really lucky to move to Vancouver or to Canada when I was five. Like if someone's listening to me speak, they're probably is this guy an immigrant? Because I hope at least I have pretty good English. And I think that I was reading a book or some kind of fact I saw where it's like, The vocal cords get shaped when you're like six or seven. So if you learn a language before six or seven, you'll speak it as a native. So I was lucky and moved when I was five. And so in high school, I definitely became more confident. I mentioned swimming. Like I grew up trying to make the Olympics as a swimmer. So like that was a really big part of my life. And I guess a community I was in outside of my school community. And so, yeah, in high school, I was definitely kind of the, like I was the captain of the swim team or like trying to really like get out there and do stuff. I was really into music, went to a lot of concerts, just like to have fun. Like I would say I was like a mix of discipline, like up at 5 a.m. to go swimming. And then every day after school, and then also like enjoying myself.
1: That's awesome. I love that. So, you ended up going to Cornell. What did you study there?
0: Yeah. So, Cornell was this like super out of left field thing. I grew up in Vancouver, and UBC, University of British Columbia is like the default school to go to. And I was actually on the UBC swim team my first year of university and swam for the UBC swim club. So, I was like very much connected. And I actually went to University Hill High School. So, like, my high school was actually right beside UBC. So, it was all kind of leading towards UBC. And I applied to a couple other universities in the U.S. And I didn't get in. And I was super like, oh, forget that. Like, don't worry about it anymore. Actually, to answer your question, I studied business. But the reason I'm telling this story is because I started off studying arts in UBC. And I really, like, the courses I liked were econ. And the econ courses, because there was this one professor who was really good and I was, like, Everyone else thought it was hard, but for me, it was fun. It was like, wow, something in school that's practical, connected to business and real life rather than just angles. So when I got at Cornell, they had this program called the Applied Economics and Management, which is basically like the undergrad MBA, like undergraduate business school. And I was really interested in marketing and entrepreneurship.
1: I know you were involved in some extracurriculars there and you kind of started a community or I guess a climbing club, I would call it. What was that like? What inspired it?
0: So I was on the swim team and the swim season ended like right around spring break. I had heard of this program that allows you to have like a free trip to Guatemala if you can get 10 or 15 other people to come with you. And you'd be like the team leader and you like would earn this trip where they'd give you like free room and board and food and stuff. But I wanted to go somewhere different and I wouldn't be able to go otherwise. So I did this thing in Guatemala and that was fun. And I really felt like like I found something I like to do. I was like the team leader. I kind of transitioned my team leading trip skills into this. And then the following year, I got into this program called Cornell Tradition. Most people get into it in their first year. So they have four years to spend $3,000 on volunteer trips but I actually got in my senior year, my last year, and therefore I only had one year to spend this money. And so basically if I didn't spend it, I would lose it. I started looking for like the most crazy thing I can do with this money. Like, what, like I have this gift, go anywhere in the world and kind of do this volunteer work and have fun. And then also kind of like have this unique experience. I was doing an internship and I read this article in, in the Cornell alumni newspaper. And one of them was named Seth. He created this thing where he climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and raise money for cleft lip surgery and i was like that's really cool how about i go climb Mount kilimanjaro because i have this money to go to to africa never been there before and then i can raise money for charity And and i emailed him and replied back like right away he's like this is great for sure. And you know what, when I was actually in Africa, I started this charity called Operation Fistula, which helped women who have obstetric fistula, which is a condition that occurs after childbirth where they can't control their bowels. And so therefore they're incontinent, they get excommunicated. It's this terrible condition and it's like 200 bucks and you can kind of reverse it. And so he said, let's raise money for that. And I thought that was really cool. Basically after summer came my senior year, decided actually to stop swimming and focused on this full-time and created the Fisula Free Climb, now called Mountains for Moms. And it's a um, charity fundraising climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, which was then repeated, I think, two times at Cornell, once at Northwestern, once at Dartmouth.
1: It sounds like just looking back on it, it definitely was sort of your first foray, I would say, into community, but also just let you kind of combine so many of your interests and entrepreneurship and being in nature and doing something really positive and making a difference. I know that your next chapter brought you to Brazil. What kind of inspired you to go there? And why did you make that decision?
0: Like the real kind of first idea was, again, because of Cornell tradition. After the Africa trip, I had a little bit of money left over for spring break. And a friend of mine, we were just chatting about it, and he's like, you have to go to Brazil. And I said, OK, I'll go to Brazil. And the city I wanted to go to didn't have a volunteer program, but Rio de Janeiro did. And it was with this group called Halel from the Northwestern University in Chicago and I got connected to them and we were doing this program to renovate or clean up a community school in one of the slums in Rio. I spent a week there doing the volunteer work and then actually that week I got an email from this group called ISEC, which is amazing, like world's largest nonprofit run by students, a global organization that helps facilitate student exchange or like professional exchange, like international jobs, and they had a job for Canadians in Brazil. And I was in Brazil getting this email about it. I was like, there's something here interesting. So I ended up applying and, and actually got the job. And that was for a company called Valley, which is the world's second largest mining company.
1: I love how it just kind of fell into place and that opportunity presented itself. Tell me a little bit about, you know, the community side of arriving to Brazil. Did you feel like there was kind of a culture shock or was it more of like an instant connection with the culture and with the people there?
0: One of the things that we North Americans can learn from South Americans is just how warm and welcoming everyone was. We were part of this ISAC group. I was part of this group of 20 people, two Canadians, one Colombian, one Indonesian, and 16 Brazilians. And we were doing this, this kind of management training program where we all kind of were selected for this program. I had two guys, Fernando and Edgar, who were kind of like my friends, or like they called them the angels, <laughs> because like I didn't speak Portuguese and they kind of like helped me. I was almost like a baby. Like I couldn't even order food because I didn't understand how to say, like, I want some chicken and steak or whatever meal I wanted in Portuguese to the hotel. I hear sometimes from my Brazilian friends that when they come to Canada, they feel like people are cold. And I don't know if that's because of the weather or because of what, but um, culturally, I felt really like welcome to the community. It was a good experience, so good, that I actually ended up leaving my job. I liked Brazil more than I liked my job. And I ended up going back to Rio a little bit later.
1: What was that experience like coming back to Canada? Did you feel kind of out of place, you know, coming from such a different experience?
0: Yeah, I kind of did. I think it wasn't necessarily because of Canada. It was more just like my professional situation where I was the youngest person on my team. The second youngest person was like four years older than me. And then everyone else was in their late 40s and 50s. They were all married with kids. And, you know, I was 23. So I didn't really feel like I belonged at work. I really didn't enjoy my job. It just wasn't like a good place for me professionally. And at the same time, cold and dark and all those things kind of combined, I think, to make me really miss Brazil. And then I actually went to Brazil, I think, twice and both times it was really fun because like Brazil's kind of one of those places where it's nice to go for a short time. And so in my early 20s, I really enjoyed going there versus Canada I felt kind of like been there, done that. But now I'm actually really glad to be in Canada. But it's, it's funny, like different life stages, you have different kind of perspectives on things.
1: We kind of explored this in other episodes of this podcast as well. And there's really like kind of like chapters to people's lives. And, you know, in your early 20s, it didn't make sense to be here. And then now it's such a great fit. So while you were in Canada, how were you staying in touch with your friends in Brazil? And was there anything that sort of surprised you about those interactions?
0: It was mostly through like we had an internal messaging system. Honestly, kind of mentally never felt that I left Brazil because I was still interacting more with my friends in Brazil that I met like when I was there than with Canadians because I didn't really have that many friends in Canada at that point because I was living in Toronto, a city I never really lived before. And so I also had a lot of interaction with other Canadians who worked for the same company who also had that experience in Brazil. So I kind of hung out with them more more than anyone else.
1: let's jump into VanHack. Why did you start VanHack and what is it for anybody who's listening who's maybe not familiar with it? So at VanHack,
0: we're trying to become the world's leader in global mobility. So we're trying to make it easy for companies to hire tech talent from anywhere in the world and either bring those people to their cities or to another location or have those people work remotely and allow them to be mobile. Yeah. uh, How did it all happen? Well, There's a really, really long story. I won't go into all the different kind of nooks and crannies, but when I was living in Canada, like after working for that mining company, I decided to quit that job because I really wasn't enjoying it. I actually ended up moving to Rio to work for a nonprofit that does data collection in the slums as a volunteer. I kind of just quit this really well paying job, decided to go volunteer for, I said maybe six months and I'll come back to Canada. I ended up staying a year and a half. And during that time when I was volunteering for this nonprofit, I heard about this startup accelerator that was starting in Rio that was supposed to be kind of like the Y Combinator or, or Techstars of Brazil, which combined American investors with Brazilian startups or Brazilian entrepreneurs. And so I went there and long story short, ended up becoming a co-founder at one of the startups in the ed tech space, doing an online social network for students that was like helping them with schoolwork and place to live, a bunch of different things. So it's kind of my first experience with ed tech and also HR. It didn't go well, but I learned a lot of lessons. And then during that time, when I was in the accelerator, I started meeting all these software engineers who were really good at coding, and they would create these amazing websites, but not really good communicators. And they had this challenge of English as a second language. I felt like there was very clear content that I could give to these people that would then open up this global job market for them, because they could either immigrate or work remotely. So I kind of thought about that a little bit, and at the time, creating this thing called Brazil Career Blueprint which was an online course to help people move to Brazil. And I told some of my friends about this who are Brazilian, and they said, you know, you're doing this the wrong way. You have to help Brazilians move to Canada. And so I kind of kept that in my back of my mind until summer 2014 when I moved back to Vancouver and decided to kind of put up a website, Vancouver for Devs, it was called, or Van for Devs or something like that, where if you want to move to Vancouver and you're a developer, sign up. So who signed up was not people who wanted to learn how to code. It was people who actually knew how to code. And I just started doing a lot of these calls because I had learned lean startup methodology from the 21212 <laughs> uh, experience, uh, and you know I started just to apply it, and ended up creating this online course to teach developers English and soft skills to help them with job interviews, and that kind of community became now one of the world's largest talent pools of tech developers looking for international jobs or remote jobs. And, and that's what Hack is now. Actually, our first value is we hack together. And I feel like we're really working hard to bring the community aspect to recruiting. And I talk a lot about that actually because you don't really see People who get hired through recruiting agencies kind of have a sense of community and belonging to a recruiting agency. For example, people don't call themselves Rand Statters or Robert Haffers or Adecoers or Manpowers, which are like you know the top recruiting agencies in the world, but they do call themselves Van Hackers and I think that's really cool. And I think that helps us with a bunch of different things like referrals and it really helps us grow. From the beginning, I consciously build Van Hack as a community, more of a student community because it was all about sharing knowledge, right? Because like, if one person gets hired, they share their knowledge with the other group. The propensity of the other people to get hired is larger, and therefore they probably get hired. And then they share their knowledge. And then kind of snowballs. So that was really important for me in the beginning, because that's the best part about school, right? Like it's all about the people.
1: I really love how, you know, throughout the journey of building VanHack, you've had a lot of pivots and the company has naturally evolved. And it's always been with the community in mind, because you're really listening to the people that you're building this for. And you're almost like co-creating it in a way, which I think is really unique. And, you know, one of the best ways to actually build something. What are some of the challenges that you faced along the way that, you know, looking back at helped you ultimately grow?
0: Ironically, for an HR tech company, our biggest challenge has been HR, has been finding the right people to join the team. Even from the beginning, I've hired way too many people that I shouldn't have hired. I was terrible at hiring. In the beginning, I still am pretty bad at it. It's such a hard thing. And I don't say that because like, Hey, we're here to help. But like, I remember early days of VanHack trying to get the website to work and the website to be built and hiring a friend of a friend who's a developer who I didn't, you know, really know. And he apparently was an expert and he did all these amazing things. But, you know, at the end of the day, the website was terrible and the work didn't get done on time and the money was like wasted basically. And so it just was all these kind of like stubbing my toe in building the wrong way and then in all aspects of like, sales process marketing process generally like hiring the right people has been really really hard another thing that's been really hard is like delegating because i really in the beginning really like to do everything myself so i did all the marketing i did all the social media uh, all these things and, and then like you know it gets spread too thin and you start making mistakes like i make a bunch of mistakes in the, the portuguese for example when we started fan hack everything was in portuguese and i didn't like double check and didn't ask for help and so asking for help and delegating and building a team and building processes not just building the company, but building the team that then builds the company has been really challenging for me as a pretty much first-time founder, although I had done other stuff before. It was never really like my company.
1: For sure. Through running Fuck Up Nights events, I hear this theme a lot, building out your team, making sure that you're delegating. It's one that continuously comes up. So I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of or anything like that, as long as you're learning from it and continuing to do better. Tell me a little bit about the hiring events that you were doing, you know, pre-COVID times. I know you were building some pretty cool in-person community through that.
0: We called these events Leap, Bad Hack Leap. And the idea actually was to bring a group of people who needed to kind of polish up their English and get their English better for a month-long immersion. We did it in Berlin. It didn't work because what we realized is companies want people who are already kind of ready to go. So we decided to do short events, one week, focus on the Canadian market for now, and have these people who want to move to a city actually go to that city, experience living there, and then meet with companies in person on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then hopefully get job offers Thursday, Friday, or after they get back home. And the events actually were, up until COVID, of course, working really well because You would have this best possible fidelity interaction with someone and get to the truth of whether this person's a fit or not much faster. And companies who maybe would have said, you know what, this person's resume is not that good. We're actually hiring people that they met in real life, which I thought was so cool. We did about 10, 15 of those over 2018, 2019. Hopefully we can come back to those. And now we're thinking about how to do them online because can't really bring people to new countries these days, uh, at least without a work permit.
1: Those events had such great energy to them and I love how you were sort of elevating those community members and and really like showing them the opportunity that exists within Canada. I love the one that you did specifically for female people in tech. Let's jump into the effects of COVID. Curious how it affected Van Hack. I I think like in one sense, Canada in a way is really welcoming towards immigration still through everything that's going on compared to our neighbor to the south. But I'm sure that COVID had some pretty tough effects on what you guys are doing and you've had to pivot and, you know, find new ways to keep your community engaged.
0: I'm going to hit on something you just said in your question about the Women in Tech event. We're actually doing a Women in Tech hiring event in uh, September. So it's going to be a virtual event. So we're going to try and take the leap events and do them online, which is, I guess, one of the impacts of COVID. So we'll see how that goes. But it's definitely been one of the hardest things. Our business is all about, or has traditionally been about moving people physically from one country to another, like literally immigration. And with the border closing and COVID, that's pretty much been put on pause. Although we have moved, I think, uh, had six or seven relocations to Germany, Ireland, and Canada. It was really, really hard, especially in March, when half of our our customers said, we're going to put things on pause, our investors are asking us, you know, to stop hiring, we didn't know what was going to happen. But thankfully, a lot of companies kept hiring remotely and said, you know what, we're okay to have this person start remote work for however long they need remotely. And then when the time is right, we'll bring them to our city. And even maybe they can keep working remotely after they move or our hybrid model. So that's been really, really cool. And I feel like there's this new category of jobs which aren't really remote jobs and they're not really relocation jobs, they're both, where you can have someone work remotely to start, gain that trust, de-risk the hire. Once you have the trust built, the person immigrates, then they have closer connection to the company. They're grateful that the company helped them sponsor the visa and give them all this big opportunity to to move countries. And then you can keep working remotely again. (laughs) So yeah, hard at first, and I think short term, we went through a down cycle of like lower revenue. And then now I feel like things are picking up, although you never know. And I'm kind of cautiously optimistic about it. And it really also helped us reflect and do some inner working on improving our product. We're about to launch a Slack app. We're really like kind of doubling down on automation of matching the candidates together with companies and speeding up the process to come to Hack post a job, book an interview in like an hour rather than with the physical events. There's a lot of coordination. There's a lot of like people literally flying different countries. We had to worry about people's visas being denied for tourist visas for the leap events. And there's all this kind of other stuff that didn't really have to do exactly with hiring, but now we can just focus on, okay, how do we, As quickly as possible and efficiently as possible, if your employer want to hire three DevOps engineers, how can we get you six interviews or nine interviews next week in like 30 minutes or to an hour? And how do we do that efficiently, quickly and across the world? So that I think long term will be great for us because we have this very large talent pool that we can then match much faster with employers because we don't have to just worry about who can actually travel to Toronto or Vancouver for this trip at this time.
1: I really love what you said about starting to implement this hybrid model where they can start their job, remotely build trust with that team and then immigrate when the time is right and they've gotten into the company, they understand the culture. I love like something that you've said before that code has no accent, right? And I think now it's becoming more and more clear and all of these amazing companies are really opening their doors to people from all over the world to be able to perform some of these roles remotely and then potentially immigrate when the time is right.
0: Yeah, and like community builders or you can build a global community now so much easier than before just because you can have content that's consumed by people across the world or have a community that's not restricted to people having to meet in person.
1: So over the years of building VanHack, what has been the most rewarding part for you as a founder? I
0: think the biggest thing is just like seeing people's lives after we help them re- reach our goal. You know, people end up getting their permanent residency. We're about to have a few kind of the first VanHack citizens, people actually changing their nationalities because of our platform. A lot of people have kids and families after they move. And that's really, really cool. Or a lot of people move with young kids and I can kind of see myself in those <laughs> young kids. It's been really good for my life. Like I can't imagine what it would be like if I was still in Russia, for example.
1: That's really amazing. Honestly, I wish something like this existed when my parents and I immigrated. Also, like you, I was fairly young. I was eight years old. My parents both work in, in tech. They're both computer programmers. And it was really tough for them. Like Canada was looking for people to fill those types of roles, but there wasn't really a community of people that they could find or, you know, the types of resources that you provide. It's so needed. And I could see how it's so rewarding just to see people really like get something out of it and really grow. So I want to jump into getting some of your advice for community builders and for listeners. So I know that you're building the VanHack community on Slack. How do you encourage your community members to be active on there? Like, how do you encourage them to engage in meaningful discussion with one another? And how do you really make sure that you're maintaining that energy, momentum, and activity within there? Because I know that could be a big challenge.
0: I see people who are starting community and it's almost like they're forcing, they know where they want to get to. And then they're kind of forcing their community to go to that place by like having a formula of posting X times a day and looking at very much like a a formula, a recipe. And honestly, there's no real recipe to creating a community other than just like being authentic and doing what feels natural because people aren't going to engage in a place where they feel like they're being manipulated and like oh i'm just like being used to create this community what it has to be in the beginning for example is just it's really hard it takes a lot of your time energy and you have to be able to tell a story and i think that's what especially in the early days we did like i had this podcast where i would bike around vancouver and talk about like the top 10 tech hubs in canada and creating the content and story of like relevant value ad. And we did tons of webinars, tons of success cases. And I really felt like and so feel like that Van Hack is a media company. and Van Hacks needs to create amazing content videos and hangouts and webinars and all these things we, we have our own podcast too. <laughs> and that all, I think, is really good to kind of have like topics of conversation. The first first first, first first Van Hack like community was, a group Facebook Messenger where we had like 30 people in a Facebook Messenger and then we moved to WhatsApp. WhatsApp was limited to 100 so we had to find something else and then eventually we went to Slack because there was no limit as to how many people. I feel like I generally wanted to have this this content out there, and I like a lot of direct message conversations, a lot of one on one calls. And then, you know, slowly but surely, people start telling their friends and people organically ask questions. And, you know, now I think we have one of the largest Slack groups in the world with 70,000 people. Every day we still have to post content there, still doing webinars, still doing all that stuff. And it's a daily struggle. And the second you take it for granted, like, then things kind of evaporate, I feel like. So it's a constant thing. And, but at the same time, there comes a turning point where, like, you get to kind of this critical mass where, you're not the one always starting the conversation. Like there's typically two or three questions coming in that like from community members and then other community members start answering those. And it becomes really cool where people kind of see that there's value in contributing to this. It's not just, I'm not just being used in a way.
1: What I love about the community is that, you know, you have people at different stages of their immigration journey and they can really help each other and, you know, find people who've gone through something similar, who maybe have similar questions to them. And I think it's crazy. Like, I wish Slack would launch something that was like specifically for community. There's so many of the people that I've had on this podcast are building their community on Slack and they're finding ways to kind of like do hacks around it and like make it work to be a little bit more purpose built for what they're doing. People who maybe recently immigrated to a new country, you know, maybe slipped in just before COVID. How can they really find their footing and community in a new place? I know it's something that you've had to do a few times.
0: The biggest one I would have normally said is go to meetups in advance, but clearly that's not really possible. I think right now it's it's really hard. Like if you've moved here, probably the biggest place if you do have a job is you know at work to meet people and kind of have friendships and things like that. Like when I moved to Brazil, Valley and my friends at Valley were my main community and helped me adjust to living in the country. If you aren't currently employed, it's tough. Uh, I would say right now LinkedIn is probably the best social network out there for connecting with professional opportunities and other people who are like-minded to you virtually and i think now more than ever people are on on these kind of networks more and more i mean facebook as well in Vancouver, there's a lot of like Vancouver for Brazilians, I'm sure in Toronto as well and all the different cities. So like if you move from Russia, there's probably like Russians in X city Facebook group and then like activities. So like if you're in your home country, where you like to bike. Maybe there's some bike groups or running groups or whatever, physical activity, sports, music, hobbies kind of groups where you can really do something with other people who are passionate about that.
1: And if somebody wanted to join the VanHack community, how can they do so?
0: Yeah, pretty easy. VanHack.com. Click on join. That's it.
1: So let's shift gears. I want to chat about your personal community. I think it's really interesting how people who are community builders navigate their personal communities outside of the professional community that they're building. So what are some communities that you're part of and why are they meaningful to you?
0: With work, how intense it's been for so long, most outside of work communities are just like startup communities which are not really totally separated from work because I like work at a startup but at the same time they're not directly my company and like the Vanhack community so I'm part of this group called A-List which is a Slack community of uh, Canadian entrepreneurs mostly who have lived in the U.S. but now they've kind of opened up to everybody and then also there's this group called This Week in Startups, which is a really great startup podcast that I like. They just launched a community on Slack as well because of COVID. And then there's also Techstars. So because of Van Hank being part of Techstars, we're also part of the Techstars community. We're like a Techstars company. They're actually having their founder con next week. So that's really exciting. First time virtual. There's also a Slack group there. And then it's kind of been hard like, to have anything outside of my work and maybe a handful of old friends and my family.
1: That totally makes sense. I mean, you're finding people that are like-minded to you and that are maybe going through similar challenges, similar opportunities. So I think it's really great to be able to connect in that way. So speaking of the close friends and the family that you mentioned, how do you choose your people? You know, like the five to six people that are closest to you, do you feel like you look for certain qualities or is it something that just kind of happens more randomly?
0: I mean, I think right now there's not much change that's going to happen in that group of friends like I have some friends I grew up with or friends I you know from university but at this point in my life like I don't think many people are going to enter that kind of five six people that I am really close with just because it's like it's such a hard thing I used to be it's so funny like I used to be that kind of social butterfly maven what book was that the malcolm gladwell book of like the person who always connects people and is having parties at their house and is the one who's the host that used to be me and kind of still is me in some senses but i just don't have that opportunity anymore so i mean if i look across like maybe the the five six people who i'm still good friends with you know for many years i think there's a lot of people who have had that international experience a lot of my friends are immigrants or have immigrated or have lived abroad and have that kind of global mindset. I think that's really important. And then they're like, I want to be, you know, they're they're successful and and hardworking and and also know how to have a good time.
1: I know that you've stayed pretty close to your experience in Brazil and your wife is also from Brazil.
0: Funny story, part of the WhatsApp, uh, part of the Brazil, I'm in a WhatsApp group. I remember that group of 20 people that I mentioned, like I think seven or eight of the guys of that group created a WhatsApp group. It's been going for like eight years now and it's so cool to like see their life and they post pictures of their families or their like, you know, at a barbecue or something, or there's some funny like meme happening. So I kind of get like this insight, you know, that's a micro community, I would guess you can call it like a small group of friends that I still am a part of. And it's is really cool to be able to have that technology to, you know, like 40, 50 years ago, you would never see those people again. But now you're so connected and can kind of check in when you want to, to, to see where people are at. And I think that's so cool.
1: So my last question for you is, and I ask this of everybody on the podcast, what does the word community mean to you?
0: I think to me community kind of means there's a saying like if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together and I think that community is the go together and go far piece where if you work as a team if you have this kind of we're all kind of in this together we're all kind of trying to get to a common objective together then you can do much more than any single person could alone some of the parts is greater than each individual, I forget the saying, but that kind of is is where I think community is really powerful and
1: frankly underrated. I really love that quote. And I think that's such a great definition of it. Awesome. Well, Ilya, it was so great chatting with you. Thanks so much for doing this.
0: And my pleasure, Marsha. This was really fun. Thank you.
1: I had such a great time chatting with Ilya, and I hope you learned as much as I did from this episode. You can connect with Ilya on LinkedIn by searching for Ilya Brotsky, and you can learn more about VanHack at vanhack.com. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at Create Community Pod, or check out our website at CreateCommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marcia Drucker, your host, signing off. A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com where house is spelled H-A-U-S or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media house and Twitter at Origins Media.